Welcome to the Marriage Steps Podcast for developing a long-lasting, happy relationship is the status symbol to achieve. And following my six marriage steps is a path to help get you there. I'm your host, Dr. Wyatt Fisher, a licensed psychologist specializing in marriage counseling. The Marriage Steps Podcast is listener-supported, so to help keep it on the air so couples worldwide can receive hope for their marriage, please consider becoming a monthly supporter by going to patreon.com forward slash marriage steps. The marriage tip of the day is to address things in your relationship before they escalate. When your partner upsets you, what do you do? Do you stuff it or do you blow up? A lot of us do one or the other. We either stuff it down because we're trying to avoid the conflict or we just get really harsh and we we get volatile with our, our words and our anger and both are destructive. But you need to address it before it escalates because if you're letting it just fester and build up inside of you, that's gonna come out in more destructive ways later. You're gonna become passive aggressive, you're gonna withdraw emotionally, you're gonna shut down physically, all those things are gonna happen. And so when you start feeling something negative towards your partner, you have to address it, you have to get it out. You have to be constructive with how you get it out, but it's better out than in. So this is where the four steps to a soft startup comes in. As a reminder, step one is how have they improved? Number two is give them the benefit of the doubt. Where may they be innocent with what they've done that hurt you or upset you? Third is how could you have possibly contributed to their behavior that hurt you? Something directly perhaps you did, or perhaps you have a wound in your background or a value in your background that's influencing how you're reacting to the hurtful behavior. And then fourth, you say your complaint. So you say your complaint without you, always or never. You want to articulate your tender underbelly, which is sad, hurt, lonely, scared, insecure, etc. And then your core need that it's getting tapped into. Core needs can be, I need to feel secure. I need to feel respected. I need to feel wanted. I need to feel valued. I need to feel like we're a team. Core needs vary. So that's what you need to do because when you are having something going on, you have something negative you're feeling towards your partner, it's vital that you address it and get it out because if you don't, it's gonna to lead to more destructive behavior. But how you get it out is most important. That's why you have to follow those four steps to a soft startup. The joke of the day is my wife and I have come to the very difficult decision that we do not wanna have any children. So please send us your contact information and we'd be happy to drop off our children at your house. (laughs) Okay, the marriage message of the day. So this is the day where I like to respond back to listeners' questions. So on Facebook, what I've been doing is once a week, I'll post a question, what are your top marriage questions? And this past week, I think I had around 30 marriage questions come in, which is a lot. And so I've been busy responding back to everybody the best I can. And so I took some of those, some of the top ones that stood out to me, and I'm going to read through them and respond back to the questions so that all the other listeners out there can listen to my response in case you have the same question. So here's the first one. I'm pregnant and my husband doesn't like my weight. Shouldn't attraction not matter? This is a dicey one. So physical attraction in marriage is very loaded. Some people have the need for physical attraction. Other people don't. The first thing I would say to this husband is, you got your wife pregnant, and now you're complaining that she's overweight? What's wrong with you? Come on. She's pregnant because of you and because of her. 
And so don't then blame her that she's overweight or gaining weight. She's pregnant because of you. So this guy's out of line is the first thing I would say. Second thing I would say is when it comes to physical attraction, you want to avoid two extremes. The one extreme is to think attraction should not matter because it does. The other extreme you want to avoid is that attraction should mean everything. That's also two extremes. You want to avoid those extremes. Physical attraction is involuntary. You can't just will it. You can't just decide you're going to be physically attracted to someone. And most likely, if that's a need for your partner, that's probably one of the things they fell in love with about you is how you looked. Having said that, we all change throughout the lifespan. Our bodies change, especially if we have kids and as we get older. So there needs to be a certain level of grace for that and that looks are not the center of everything. However, if you're married to someone that values physical attraction, make sure you're doing all that you can to look nice for them, to take care of your body, to dress in a way that they would appreciate, because that's going to be a deposit for them. That's going to be a filler for them and make them feel loved. So striking that balance is important. Second question, what do you do when you have no energy to listen and instead you just want to vent to your partner? So this can come up where maybe you've had a really exhausting day and you just want to vent. Last thing you want to do is listen to your partner. However, that's not going to be a healthy approach because that's more of a two eyes in where you're just thinking about yourself and what you need. And as I've said before, an ideal marriage is one eye in, one eye out, where you're tracking what you need, but you're also tracking your partner and what they need. And so for this, I would recommend firming up the routine of the head heart check. And as a reminder, the head you share is everything you did throughout the day, and the heart that you share is what you felt and why. So mad, sad, glad, or fear, and why. Some of us know that information really well, and it's easy to access. Others of us don't know what we felt and why. So if that's you, you might need to do some journaling or some reflecting to gather your thoughts on your feelings throughout the day before you have your head heart check. And when you have the head heart check, then you take turns sharing your head and heart. You share the agenda of your day and what you felt and why. Now, during the head heart check, two reminders. One is don't share anything negative you felt towards your partner. Otherwise, it will turn into criticism time. There's a separate tool for that called the floor method. So you can't share anything negative you felt towards your partner. So you're just sharing things about your life outside of your marriage during the head heart check. Second is don't give your partner any advice unless they ask. Therefore, all you can do is provide empathy. Empathy. So you put yourself in their shoes, you try to see it from their lens, and you empathize. That's the only thing you can do during the head heart check. That keeps it safe and supportive. And when your partner is providing empathy to you, it energizes you to then listen to them and provide empathy for their situation. Third question, how do you deal with alcoholism in marriage? So that's a serious one. If you're married to someone who's an alcoholic, working on the marriage probably will not be effective because they have an issue going on in their life that's impairing their ability to work on the marriage. So the first thing you would do is have them seek treatment for alcoholism. And you also may want to join Al-Anon so you're getting support of being married to someone who has drinking problems. 
But that's the first round of defense. They need to seek treatment for their drinking problems because only then, once it's under control, can they be fully present to work on the marriage. Now, if you're married to someone who's in denial and they won't seek treatment for their alcohol problems, I would recommend a separation. Normally, that's what's recommended to get their attention and to show them that this is not okay and you're not going to tolerate their overconsumption of alcohol because it's impairing your relationship. If you don't take that route, you may be married to someone who's an alcoholic for decades before they ever seek treatment. So don't tolerate it. If they are in denial and they won't seek treatment, seek a separation until they do. Fourth, what do you think is happening when your partner provides no affection or support throughout the day? So if that's happening, there's a couple possibilities. One is your partner may not have been trained yet on how to be a supportive partner. Maybe they don't know what that looks like or what that means or that that's important to you. So they need some training on how to fill up your love bucket by providing affection and providing support throughout the day. That's one possibility. Another possibility is they may have some attachment issues from their upbringing. So perhaps growing up, their parents did not tune into their needs and did not care for them and did not make them feel special or ask them questions or give them affection. So therefore, they develop this insecure attachment so they're not clear, they don't know how to provide one to you. So it might be a deeper issue with attachment and their upbringing And so they may need some individual therapy around their own attachment issues before they can provide it well for you. A third possibility is you have not been doing a very good job meeting their needs. Perhaps you've been two eyes in. Perhaps you've been self-absorbed. Perhaps you have not been focusing on filling their bucket and therefore they feel demotivated to fill yours. So that's another possibility. So you might wanna check in with your partner and talk to them about this pattern and talk to them about those three possible reasons you think the pattern might be going on and see what they think, and that will influence which direction you go. Okay, fifth one. Is it possible to carry 100% of the relationship when the kids are young? No, it's not. It's never healthy or sustainable for one of you to be the main one carrying the relationship. And first of all, we have to define our terms. What does it mean to carry the relationship? When I hear that, I think of someone being solely in charge of making sure them and their partner have time together, making sure they're connecting, making sure they're investing in the relationship, that they are continually the one doing all the work for the relationship just because of certain circumstance. If, if that is required, and it's just for a short season, you and your partner need to be on the same page and you need to develop a strategy of how are we gonna make this work during the season where one of you is gonna be out of commission, whatever that looks like. But it's very rare for that to be the case because most of the time you both can be working on the relationship on some level and it's not realistic or sustainable for only one of you to be working on your relationship. That's gonna lead to burnout and resentment. So do not go down that path. But instead, talk with your partner about the pattern and see what's blocking them from working on the relationship, then develop some ideas where you both can be equally investing in the rapport and in the marriage. Okay, last question says, I only desire sex one to two times a month. Is something wrong with me? 
There's nothing wrong with you. Everyone has different libidos, so it varies how often we desire sex. However, the thing that can create problems is if that's not the same frequency your partner desires sex, which is very common. So the main thing when it comes to libido is striking a balance, a compromise with your partner. So if you only desire sex once to twice a month and your partner desires it, say, five times a week, you have a problem. You and your partner are going to have to negotiate frequency. However, don't think that you're going to have to have sex in a way that is not pleasurable for you because it's important to approach sex or sensuality in general in a way that's a win-win. So you might want to go to my website and look up the article on the wedding cake model to sexual intimacy. It talks about building it in stages where you start with a friendship, then you have sensual time, and then on the nights where you're both feeling open to arousal or you're feeling arousal, then you move it up to the sexual tier. And in the sexual tier, there's options. Some nights you might make out. Other nights, it might be everything above the waist. Other nights, it's everything below the waist. Other nights, it's everything. That depends on the lower libido and what they're open to. Because the goal in sex and marriage is to bring back voice and choice for the lower libido partner. Obligation sex is a killer. I also just wrote a blog post on my website you might want to check out called The Two Top Ways to Increase Libido for Females. And the top two ways, I can give you the summary right now, it's through relationship and it's through technique. Sex needs to become, for heterosexual couples, much more clitoral focused than penetration focused so that the pleasure is centered around the female and then penetration comes second. So there's the answer to the question. So feel free to keep uh, responding to the questions in the Facebook feed, um, but you can also email me your questions at info at drwyattfisher.com. Thank you for listening to the Mariceps podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, be sure to click the five stars and leave a review. When you do that, the podcast will appear higher in search results so other people can find it. Also, be sure to go to my website for more marriage resources at drwyattfisher.com. And remember, your marriage is alive. So if you care for it and nurture it, it will grow. But if you neglect it, it will die. The choice is up to you. Take care.